Well, good morning. I got a clicker here. Does anybody know who that is? Anybody who doesn't know who that is? Okay, good, because that would make the sermon a lot harder. Uh, so this morning as we're going through, uh, the, through the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be talking about, as Dan alluded to, truthfulness and our words and what it is. And if you guys remember the story of our friend Pinocchio, Pinocchio was always very obvious when he was telling the truth or not telling the truth because his nose would grow. Every time he would lie, his nose would grow. Our world would be very hard to walk around in, I think, if all of our noses grew every time we were to say something that was untrue. And as Dan said in his overly kind introduction, the way that you're on the inside is what really matters as we talk about what is God's word trying to do. And over the past couple of weeks as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, if you think about it, everything that Jesus has been talking about has been looking at your heart. Because he said, you know, here's what's written down Here's the extra stuff that you guys piled on top of it with rules and regulations and with orders and those kind of things, but you kind of miss the heart. We talked about hatred and how that, God equated that with murder and said it was the exact same thing to him, that if you hated someone, you might as well kill them. And you're like, wow, that's pretty strong. And then he took, last week, thankfully Michael was preaching on that one and it wasn't Children's Sunday, um, he talked about infidelity in marriage and what that would look like. And how here was the technical standard, but this is where God's standard was, which is way higher. And our world, unfortunately, works in this idea of technicalities and how things come together. And a verse I want you to remember on top of this, on top of our passage from Matthew chapter 5, is from Proverbs 18. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So, spoiler alert, the big thing there is it's your words. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about anything else other than the power of your words. And he says that there's death and life, and the fruit, the things that we speak, are going to be what we eat. So, think about that as we talk about what kind of meal you want to be eating as we look at words and other things. So, how much is it worth to you? What is your speech like? And that's, what, that's our whole focus today. What is that speech? Power of life and death in the tongue. What kind of fruit are you going to be producing? What are you going to say to the people around you and not just kind things, not just things like that, and not just technical things? I was at a conference, and one of the things that they were talking about for business owners is our calendar. And Dan was saying, you know, he owns a business, I own a business, a lot of you guys work. I'm, there's this fun thing called work-life balance. It's a fancy new word, especially during COVID. How much time do you spend working versus how much time do you spend in your family and doing things? And how full is your calendar? This is not my work calendar. This is just a fancy graphic I found on the internet. But on my work calendar, it's pretty full. I do a lot of different things throughout the week. And the guy that was doing the conference was talking about that if someone calls you or emails you, and says, hey, can you help me with this? Maybe it's during your work day. Maybe it's something for work. Or maybe it's uh, outside of your work. Maybe it's a weekend or something like that. And somebody says, hey, can you help me with this? Can you do this? Well, go to, let me check my calendar. And you look at your calendar and you go, huh, okay, I got some time there. Now, I know some of us are in service industry. And so there's, there's a lot higher need to quickly react and to go. But sometimes it's just one of those things that you're like, oh, I do have time. But I just don't want to. You ever had that? Somebody ask you to do something? You really don't have a good excuse. You just don't want to do it. 
And so this guy was talking about, you know, here's how do you do this and how can you face people and do all that kind of stuff? That was his answer. You want to guess where this goes? Oh, I'm sorry I would help you, but I have something on my calendar. He actually said you could write the word something on the side of your calendar so that way in all honesty and truthfulness, you could talk to somebody on the phone and go, you know, Chip, I'd help you, but I got something on my calendar. Yeah, it's kind of a laugh, but it's also, it was really sad. I was like, oh my gosh. Because by the technicality of the law, of the word, right? I am not telling a lie. I am telling the truth. Something on my calendar. Now, you know, it's funny for us, but could you imagine how you would feel if you saw that this was what I was talking about? You'd be like, oh gosh, that would hurt a lot. Now, I found this cartoon. I think it really sums it up. What they really mean is the appearance of honesty is the best policy. I think that's really where that comes through. And I got to tell you, in our business world, in the world around us, it's all over the place. Um, I had the pleasure of sitting with some gentlemen a couple of weeks ago, and they were, uh, they were builders and contractors for some of the older buildings downtown. They're much longer in the tooth, older in age. They talked about building some of the buildings downtown, some of the huge ones that have been around since the 50s and 60s, with a handshake. Doing a $20 million build with a handshake from the owner saying, I will build this building with you. That's it. And they start. They go to their contractors. They go to their vendors. They start moving contract, concrete, all these materials, all these supplies with a handshake. There was no contract. There was no everything written out. It was just their word said, this is, yes, I said I'll do this. I'll be there. But today, even if I have a contract, it doesn't mean that anything's going to happen. Because there's all kinds of loopholes and renegotiation and redo this, or I changed my mind, or that's not what I thought that meant, or I didn't know. I mean, our courts are full of it. Everything is full of it. But could you imagine if we got back to something like that? As Sterling so eloquently read for us this morning, just yes and no. No asterisks, none of that. And that's the message that Jesus is going after here with, the, with his heart. Because what are we going to look at? We're going to take those, that passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. We're going to look at it in three different things. We're going to look at the first part, which covers promises that are made to God, promises that we make to God. The second one that we're going to talk about is using what doesn't belong to us, using what's not ours. And finally, it's going to be the value of our word. So let's start at the beginning here. Promises made to God. This is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. It said, again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, a vow, when it's talking about this, these are promises we make to God. Uh, you may have made these at different points in your life. Lord, I promise this. I give a vow. I give a promise that I will do this. Sometimes it happens in times of peril or jeopardy. God, if you get me out of this, I promise I will I will, I will never or I will, or in the middle of something, you're just so excited. Sometimes it comes straight from the heart from a good place. You're so excited about God, you're gonna say, God, I promise I will always do this. Like there's joy, there's the spirit that's moving. But God says your mouth is important here. In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, it said, Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath, to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break it. His word must do everything he said. 
Now, I know it's Old Testament, but this is, a, this is how powerful it was. was uh, Moses was giving, from the book of Numbers, this is where he's reminding the people about what God has said. He's breaking it down into small pieces for him. He said, if you promise this, God's going to expect it. If you make a promise to God, he expects you to fulfill it. Now, the thing about this is you have to put it through the filter of God or the lens of God. God will not take a promise that goes against what God stands for. So you can't promise to God that you will do something that is not in the character of God and expect him to be, be pleased by it or to be, or to be fulfilled by it. That's not what he's saying, but these are the oaths, these are the pledge. If you said, I will do this, or I will not do this, or I promise this, to God or to other people, God wanted you to keep that and push that in. The teacher from Ecclesiastes, he kind of turned it up a notch, Solomon did. He said, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. In fact, it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Oh, yeah, that's one of those deep ones, right? Let's go forward, though, because that's not the end of the verses. It says, and do not protest to the temple messenger. Say, oh, my vow was a mistake. Why would God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Don't make vows and promises off the cuff, and especially not to God. Because God says, if you make a promise to me, if you bring that before me, if you lay that before me, I expect you to fulfill it. And the reason why is because it's God's character. See, the the big idea is this. God wants us to be faithful with our words as he is faithful to us. That's it. Now, he knows that we are flawed. He knows that we do not have the ability to live up to the same standard he has. That's why Jesus is here. That's where grace comes from. That's where these other things came from. But could you imagine if the message of salvation sounded like this? God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Maybe. I guess. God doesn't speak like that to us. We talk about over and over and over, one of the things that we have in Jesus and we have in being followers of Christ is that we know what he says is true and that he is immovable. And he's saying, if you're going to bring me into the picture, then you've got to treat me like that. You've got to use my words like that. Don't just throw things around. Don't, don't bring that into my house. And that's what happens here in the second one, in the second part of the verses, where I talk about using not what is not ours. That comes from verses 34 through 36. It says, I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Part of where this was coming from is in the time, it was not uncommon for people to make an oath by the king or the region that they were living in. They would swear on the name of the king or they would swear on their city or swear on these things because that was a symbol of power in that region. My king is bigger than your king, so I promise by the name of this king. Even if you didn't work for the king, you would just say, you know, it's kind of like our, I promise on my mother's grave. My mom's not dead. That would be an empty promise. So when you say those things, and then it was even the, the superstition went so far as that if the king or the ruler got sick or had some kind of weird illness, it was because someone had made a vow and broke it, and they must be found. 
And so from that same kind of idea, God's saying, look, it's better you don't swear an oath at all. And just in case, don't swear by heaven because that's my throne. Don't swear by earth because that's the footstool of my son. Don't swear by Jerusalem because I built that town. Don't swear by the city of the great king because he's from my lineage. I promise it. And don't even think that your own head matters in this because if you remember, whenever you follow me, you said that you're my bondservant. That's mine too. Everything is mine. It's not yours. You can't use it. It would be like me going to the bank and getting a loan and saying, oh, I would, I would like to, they, if you ever get a loan for you kids, if you go to the bank and you borrow money, the bank always wants something that they can say, well, what if you don't pay it back? We're going to take this from you so it'll make them whole. So what if I go to the bank and I want a loan and they say, well, what's the collateral? What are you going to put up? And I say, Dan Horton's house. Dan's going to go, whoa, brother, that's my house. You can't have that house. If I do it without his permission, and that's what God is saying. He's saying, all of this is mine. Don't use this for your O's. Don't bring that in here because I'm not giving you permission to. It's mine. And if you really get down into it, it's from the third commandment where God said, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And you'll hear people do it all the time. I swear to God, hey, I will do this. I promise, it's the truth. I swear, I swear on my name. I swear on something else. God's like, no, that's mine. See, it's that same thing, just like where we had the commandments of you should not, you should not covet your neighbor's wife. You should, not, you should not commit murder. You should not do these things. God's saying, it's not just words on the paper. It's what's going on in here. And I need you to understand that so that you can become more conformed to my character. And Deuteronomy says, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. That's the proper use of God's name. I swear by my king that I will do these things for my king. But if you say it, if you remember back from Numbers and from the other ones, you sure better mean it. Because it says, later on, Jesus actually says, we're going to be accountable for all the words that we say, all the things that we do. In all the ways that we act. And then the value of our words. So we have this idea of what are we supposed to do? What are the promises that we make to God? Don't do that lightly. Don't just speak off the cuff. Don't just suddenly throw that up and expect it to have. And then what's ours and what's not? God's reminding us, hey, this is mine. If you're going to use my name, here's how I want that to be done. And then finally, that last verse, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And where that comes from, that's the ninth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This is that technicality thing that goes in. I, this is my world every day of what is true, what is honest, Where's the line? You're not allowed. You are allowed. What can you say? What can you not do? Dan told you guys I'm in advertising. There's all kinds of rules about what we are and are not allowed to do. There's a whole lot of gray area. There's a line I can get right up to. There's things that we can do that are technically okay. Or you'll hear that lovely phrase, sometimes it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. But that's not what God is calling us to. 
And when you start doing things like that, when you start playing with your words, you start saying, well, what's the value of it? Well, I can do this and this. Well, technically, I did tell the truth. Technically, I did say those kind of things. You're just like Pinocchio. I like, this is from Shrek the Third. It's another great movie to build spiritual woods to out of. Uh, whenever the bad guy asked Pinocchio, he says, where's Shrek? Do you know where he is? This was Pinocchio's response. Well, it wouldn't be inaccurate to assume that I couldn't exactly not say that is or isn't almost partially incorrect. Because Pinocchio knows as soon as he tells a lie, his nose is going to grow and the guy's asking him a straightforward question. Do you know where he is or do you not? Well, it wouldn't be totally inaccurate to assume that I couldn't exactly not say that is or isn't partially incorrect. Because he's not technically telling a lie because his nose doesn't grow. But at the same time, it's, if you watch the scene, it gets funny because they keep going on and on. And finally, one of the three little pigs just loses his mind and says, ah, he's here. Just make him stop talking because he's going around and around in these circles and playing these verbal gymnastics. And it's fun in a movie, it's fun in these things, but if you've ever been on the receiving end of it, it hurts like the dickens. When you feel that you've been betrayed by somebody and you ask them, you're like, I asked you and you said this. Well, technically, this is what happened. So, I just, Melissa and I had a friend, uh, we were going out of town and she asked if she could borrow our car. And she's, we said, sure, you can borrow a car. She drove to Tennessee, Florida, somewhere around there. She Tennessee? All right, so if I say, Michael, can I borrow your car? You and I both know I'm not taking a trip to Tennessee, right? I'm going to drive down the road. I'm going to bring it back. I asked if you could borrow, I could borrow it, and you said yes. I was totally shocked. I'm like, come on. Technicalities that are in there? Did you say you would do this? Well, you know, yeah, I did, but here's, so I kind of did. I, I, I hit the letter of the law. I mean, it's this thing. I don't even know if this is still a thing with kids anymore. So do you get, all right, kids, you got to help me. Do you guys know what, did you ever do that? Cross your fingers behind your back? Always. All right, good. All right. This sermon's for you. So no, I, I remember doing this all the time when I was a kid. We would be playing outside. Did you do this? I promise. Ha <laughs> ha, had my fingers crossed, didn't mean it. My kids know this about me. I, I'd cut up a lot. I tell a lot of jokes. I'll make up fun things. This morning I asked Jude if he was ready to read the sermon because Michael should have called him to ask to read the passage in front of the sermon. He goes, I'm not joking, Dad. He didn't call me. <laughs> I said, well, I'll go. But what my kids normally will do is that they know they can always pull this one out because I'll make up some story and they're like, I'm not sure if he's telling the truth or not. And they'll say, do you promise? Because they know I won't say yes if it's not true. And I'll go, uh, well, I technically cannot partially say if whether I would or would not promise if I was to say yes or no. So they know exactly then. But in these times, whenever Jesus was talking about this, let your yes be yes or your no be no, he was specifically speaking to the audience of the religious and other people because here's some of the things that used to happen. It was actually written, it's written in some of the rabbinical teachings that you would, say, you would make a vow with your mouth and by the time the words had left your mouth, you had already annulled it in your heart, and so it did not matter. Which means I could lie straight to your face, but technically, I'm not. Because I have already said in my heart that this vow is no good, and so even though it's coming out of my mouth, it doesn't matter. And one of those really weird things that when you really want to start playing this, 
was that on a weekend coming up, some of the people of the time would want to have some fun in the city. And so as not to, be, not to bring infidelity into their home, they would divorce their spouse, do whatever they want, and then come back and go, you know, I didn't mean that. It's not. So technically, I did nothing wrong. I don't think you need a sermon to tell you what would happen in your house if you tried to pull that one. I heard it, uh-huh. But that was the nature of the people of the time. Of as long as I can go by these technicalities, I can skirt, I can do, I can move through these kind of ways. And I'm not saying as we were talking about different things in your heart that this is what's going on in your own life. But I think as we talk about being technically honest and technically on these things, that you can think about times in your own life where this comes up. And it may be, in the, it may be more often that you want, to, want it to happen. But the truth of it is that at the end of the day, a man's only as good as his word. That's it. I mean, Dan was telling you about the people in J-Town. He told me he was going to do that. I was like, man, seriously? He goes, but brother, it's, it's people were saying this, and I didn't pay them to say it. I wish I'd known that they were going to ask. I would have gotten a much better response. But, but the thing about it is, is that it's totally true because I can say all these things. Who do you want to have come and work on your house? The guy who, man, he, he writes some good contracts. Or the guy who says that you can trust my word. Who do you want to be the architect on your building? The guy who says, yeah, I'll do exactly what you want. Or the guy who's going to tell you what's going to be the best way of doing it. Technically, I'm doing what you asked. Technically, I'm in there. I don't like technically. And if that's the way that your, word, that your heart works and that your words work and your promises work, that's where we have to root out. All we simply need to say is yes or no, because anything of that comes from the evil one. And what's really happening there is that when you put any kind of asterisks or maybe or sometimes or those kind of things, that's where the devil loves to play. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife unless you play this verbal gymnastics, divorce and then not divorce and show back up and do this. Thou shalt, thou shalt not Take the Lord's name in vain unless you say this, but your fingers are crossed and you do this and you do this. No, that's where the devil comes in. And that's what the yes or no, it's not saying the O's are bad. It's not saying vows are bad. It's not saying any of those things. It's simply saying, let it be true and pure. Because if you start playing that way, then we're no longer doing what God asked us to do, which was be faithful to him. And with our words as he's faithful to us. Because that's the message of the gospel. That was the message of salvation. That's what these things are. God said that he, get, he came for us. He says that he will continue to work in us. His word will not return void. He promises us that our tablets of, that our hearts of stone will be removed and he will write his word in our heart. He promises that he will continue to grow us and to put us into him. That he will mature us into who he is. He promises that the world will turn against us but he will never forsake us. And he promises that at the end of the journey we will spend eternity with him forever, with no death, no sickness, no lies, no war, no disease, none of these things, because he promises that the world will be remade new. And that's a promise that we keep in our hearts. That's what gets us through those rough times. It's, I don't know how many times we've talked about during these past couple of years. Of, I don't know how people that don't have faith in Christ make it through. 
Because I don't know if your guys' world looks like my world over the past couple years, but I haven't turned it on and it looks like an episode of Barney or Teletubbies or just happiness and rainbows. It's rough. But I know that there's something more. And I know it because God told me and I can believe what God said because he promises. And if we're his children, he wants us to speak that same way. But what if I'm not? Well, the other side of this message, the other side of what Jesus is saying is that he didn't write this as kind of like a farewell note. So here's how I want you to say, yes be yes, no be no, do these things, but I know you messed it up, so I just want you to know for the few years you have left on earth that, you're, that, that pretty much everything after life is gonna be horrible. There's no forgiveness for you. You are broken, and I just wanted to kind of outline all the things that you've messed up. That's not what the message was. Instead, it was a message of hope and a message of change because he always said, repent, change your heart, come to me and do. And so I wanna give you four things. I almost sound like a psalmist. Four things I will give, but five things I will say on what you are supposed to, on some ways to be able to change this out. So the first thing is, is, to, is just get this verse down. I told you that I was gonna bring it back up. This is from Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. It says, I say to you, every idle word that men shall speak will give account thereof in the day of judgment. That's from Jesus' mouth. This isn't somebody took the gospels or took anything and read it. He said, every idle word. So those are those vows, those things, those promises that you make just off the cuff. And I think that's where we start to stumble the easiest. Because the first thing of the four things I'm going to say are, are there any triggers that cause you to make a vow you cannot keep? And here's what I mean by that. Maybe it's something you're scared about. Maybe uh, you don't want to disappoint people or you're a people pleaser kind of person. And uh, we'll have a people pleasers anonymous meeting later on today. But those are the ones where you don't want to let anybody down. And so people say, hey, can you help me with that? Yes. Yes, I can. I don't have to look at my calendar. I know the answer is yes. There's probably 12 things on that same day at that same time, but that's okay. I have a friend, he would always talk about someone would say, hey, can you come over here? I need your help. He'd go, yep, I'll be there in eight minutes. And it was funny because he said eight minutes to everything. He could be in Shively and say he needs to be over in Indianapolis. I'll be there in eight minutes. Because he wanted to be the guy that you knew you called him, he was gonna be there and he was on his way. Well, there's no way in God's green earth he's gonna get there in eight minutes. But he would always say eight minutes. And it was because he didn't want you to call somebody else. He was so scared that somebody, something else would happen in there. Or maybe it's just from that idea of that a boss or a family member or a friend or somebody or a friend in, print, in air quotes, you're scared of telling them something. And so your immediate answer is to lie. But God said that's not honorable to him. And so the better thing is, is to avoid it. But think about that. Think about that in your life. What are those triggers, those things that cause you to immediately go to that? And secondly, is there a pattern or something to look out for? This used to happen a lot in our office where people would forget to do something. People being me too, that's the plural. I'm in that. And you would get an email from a client or from a friend or somebody. Hey, did you get that together? And you start working on it and you send it back. Yeah, I'm working on it now. Technically, True. Not true, though, right? Doing that right now, it's like the old joke. I think Michael said it a couple of times. You see somebody walking towards you in the parking lot, and they're like, oh, I said I would pray for them. Jesus, watch over them, amen. Oh, I've been praying for you. <laughs> Whew, just now. Those patterns start to show up, or maybe the word I forgot is a good excuse for you. 
where someone says, hey, did you do this? And your first thing is, because you don't want to hurt their feelings and you also don't want to get the finger pointed at you, I'm so sorry, I forgot. They go, oh, okay, well, but did you really? Or did you just neglect to write it down? Or did, did, was it on the to-do list somewhere and it just kind of got pushed off to the side? You know, what is that? These patterns start to show up and they're just defense mechanisms that are in there. But again, in that, from the last verse, in verse 37, it says... Anything else is from the devil. Don't give the devil that space that's in there. Third thing, who are you spending time around? I am, is this a common thing with your friends or the people that are there that are they're into the technical truth of what do I say? Are you, where were you? What's going on? How are these things going? The technical truth. Maybe it's even in your business about I'm technically telling the truth. Well, we're technically not doing anything wrong. Technically, this is all legal. <laughs> I heard a giggle over there. So those kind of things, though, if that's where you're at, maybe you don't need to be there. And trust me, if God says that he has a plan that involves you and being matured into holiness, then God will walk beside you in any of these choices you make as long as they're for his honor and his glory. And if you don't forget, the end of the, the, end of the story is eternity with him. And then number four, you really understand the value of a vow. I mean, when you, hopefully by the time that we've gotten to the end here and you've listened to the way that Jesus talks about what it looks like to make a vow, you listen to the words of God from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the way that God values our words and what that means because he's saying that if you are my child, then you speak with my authority as your father and so your words need to be as faithful and true and life-giving as mine are. You don't use them quite as easily as before and man could you imagine what the world looks like I, it says that they will know we are Christians by our love what if they also knew we were Christians by the way that we spoke with honesty with integrity the way that we hold things up because those kind of things they stand out it's sad to me that in a business world one of the things that someone has to say about our company is and they're honest that's rough. I mean, I'm glad. I, I, I am. I, I'm glad it's something that sets us apart, but at the same time, the fact that it does set us apart, it's really not that something I really want to wave as a banner because that means what else does the sea look like around us? But here's the, here's the hope in these. As you work through those, see, here's the four things I wrote, but five things I'll say. Let God do the work in your heart that he wants to and promises you that he will because we are his children. He never puts anything before us that we can't do with his help. With the power of the Holy Spirit, as we've been talking about spiritual gifting and the way that God works, one of the things that falls into that is because Holy Spirit comes and works in our heart to unlock the gifts and the way that God has made us. The other thing Jesus said, though, Holy Spirit will come and testify to us about the things that God has said and will continue to teach us and to grow us. And so if you commit your heart to God that I will speak words as you speak, I will be faithful with my words and my speech to the world around me as he is I trust you and your promises and your truth and your security then God says I will make you and change you and I will bring things to your heart and will make you do it and I will make your heart hurt until we start to change and not out of meanness but out of love because I want you to change and I gotta tell you 
this message is rough because I have to make a phone call on Monday to a potential client and tell them I can't do it because of some of the stuff they are. I won't go into whole details because it'll, it'll betray trust. They're a friend of mine. I know who they are. And it wasn't a technicality kind of thing. It was an oversight on my part. I didn't dig deep enough to figure out all of the pieces that were involved. And I can't do it. And so I have to call and say, you know, we can still be friends. And I know that you're, you're fighting the good fight and you're doing this. But this right here, I can't get behind. And if I help you, then I'm helping you get out in front of all these other people. And I can't do that. Because I don't want to stand before Jesus on judgment day and say, yeah, but technically, here's my case. Because he'll say, yes or no. Which one was it? There's no technically. And I thank the Lord there's no asterisks on our salvation. Because that is the promise of the gospel, right? That God said, you do not have to live up to this standard 100% of the time. If we confess our sins to one another, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That we have no, that we have no way of standing before a holy and righteous God, but we have a Savior who came and stood in our place, who took our punishment on the cross and said, he will do that for us. And we can believe it. And because God wants us to be faithful with our words just as he's faithful to us. And that's the heart behind this text. That's what was going on here is that God said it wasn't about always tell the truth. It wasn't about these things. It was simply whatever you say, the vows you make to one another, the pledges you give, the things you say before God, know that these things have power. Don't show up later and go, oh, no, 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 no. See, you didn't understand because God's like, no, no, you don't understand. Yes or no? That's what I want. And he does it because he wants us to speak so that as we are his ambassadors in the world and to the people around us, and we say, God is real and this is what he promises, they don't go and, well, what about you? What kind of witness are you? And instead, he wants our hearts to come to him. And that's the power of what he says. When he says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. The words you speak can bring life or death because they come from God as he made us. But if you're guessing which one he wants us to use, he wants us to speak life and truth. Now, it's not always easy. It's not always pretty. It's not always the kindest of things. But if it's true and it's spoken with grace and with love, as God has said, it has a power of life and to change eternity for yourself or for someone around you. And that, my friends, is the message of what this is from, from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37.